Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. And now, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. We are live on the Charity Stripe Podcast with your hosts, Alex, Josh, and Nick. We're back, baby. It's the Daily Stripe. Pitch your free throws. Cuz that free. Fisher, Tisopolis, DJ, Nikki, Snacks, Kreider. We've been covering the MLB trade deadline for what seems like almost the entire year now as we've been speculating and anticipating an Otani trade. That didn't happen. We even threw out Mike Trout being traded. The Brewers could be sellers. None of that happened. Uh, and I guess I could segue into things that didn't happen yesterday. One thing that almost happened was Eduardo, Eduardo Rodriguez of the Detroit Tigers was to be sent to the Los Angeles Dodgers. But for some reason or another, he is one of the players that has a no trade clause to 10 teams. And he invoked his no trade clause which blocked a trade to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Erod plays for the Tigers. He can opt out, though, at the end. He signed a five-year, $77 million deal, but he could opt out at the end of his third year, which is this year. So if he wants and pitches well throughout the rest of the year, he can opt out and become a free agent. He kind of dicked the Detroit Tigers a little bit. Well, not necessarily, because they know who the 10 teams are on his no-trade clause, so... Maybe don't try to trade with a team that's on that. It's true. They should have maybe, had another. Maybe talk to them beforehand. Say, hey, are you going to accept this trade if we trade you here? From what I heard as well is that he didn't want to be. He wanted to be closer to home to his family. I guess like on the East Coast. I think he's got family on the East Coast, um, or or in the area. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's like only two months realistically. Two three months if they make the playoffs. Um, so. Didn't make a ton of sense, but he's probably going to opt out. I think he's due $18 million next year, and he'll probably get a bigger contract for longer years. I mean, he's 30 years old right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it was prime. Absolutely. I mean, he could have another four-year, five-year contract. He's got a sub-three ERA right now. He's had some injury issues this year. But he's a guy that's hit over 200 strikeouts for the Red Sox, almost a 20-game winner for the Red Sox, and he's having his best year with the Tigers this year. He could have been an all-star had he not gotten hurt. So I think you're right in that he'll opt out. $18 million is obviously a lot of money, but I'm sure he could command $22, $23 million on an annual average salary. Uh, and I just thought, yes, the Tigers could have made a deal with a team that wasn't on one of his 10 teams. Uh, they maybe could have had a conversation with him earlier in the week. All that being said, it sucks for the Detroit Tigers, who I think oftentimes get the short end of sticks on deals, and some of it's their own fault. Uh but I, I think, I mean, we look at the Javi Baez deal being one of the worst in baseball. And now this Eduardo Rodriguez deal, it, it's ending up being a good deal for them. But if he opts out, they get him for, they lose him for nothing. I just think yeah. it's really interesting. How many times are we going to see Major League Baseball players reject a trade to a team like the Dodgers, who is who are massive contenders? front running in their division right now. And I can't believe it. Won, and a team that has won a world series in the last four years. I cannot believe that he did that. Honestly, I know I get the family thing, but you're right. It's three months. And if the, if the Dodgers had Erod, I know they got Ryan Yarbrough from uh, the Royals and he's actually been pretty good lately. He's got some experience pitching for Tampa, but that's kind of just a consolation prize. Erod would have been a real true, you know, number three starter for the Dodgers heading into the playoffs. And they need that. They haven't, they've been without Walker Bueller uh, the entire year. Julio has not been great. It's pretty much, you know, 
it's Kershaw and a bunch of young guys they've been relying on Gonsolin. Uh, but Erod would have really given them some depth and playoff experience. That they, I, I think they need, they'll need come playoff time from their pitching rotation. So that was a pretty interesting move. Uh, I thought the no move with Dylan Cease was also kind of interesting. Not shocked. I think we didn't anticipate him getting traded, but there are rumblings that he was going to Baltimore before Jack Flaherty did. And the holdup was, I think, it, they wanted a one-for-one one swap with the Orioles uh, cease for Jackson Holiday. And the Orioles were like, that's not going to happen, my friend. And so yeah. Dylan Cease has stood pat, which is – I mean, if you're the White Sox, I get it. You that's know, the guy you hold on to if you hold you know, players. Uh, they honestly didn't do as much as I expected them to do. I mean, they gave up Jake Berger – they gave up Lance Lynn, uh, a couple of bullpen arms, I believe. But I thought they would do more, honestly. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, I don't, I don't think uh, the return was enough for Cease, and that's like how you build around. Lastly, on Eduardo Rodriguez, like at the end of the day, like we don't know what goes on in these guys' personal lives, so you know there could be stuff that is not necessarily public that is too personal and. It's not our business, so it's his right. I mean, there's a reason why those there's uh, 10 teams on, on the clause, so he invoked it, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, it's part, hey, of, part of the business of the game. Maybe and he hates the Dodgers still. It's, it's Tiger's front office to, uh, you know, figure out, you know, go look for another trade candidate or just don't make that deal knowing that those are one of the destinations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do think – I also think it's just a dumb deal in general. Like he's not a guy you give a no trade clause to no offense to him. Like he's a really good pitcher, but he's not an all-star level pitcher on a consistent basis. He's not an elite pitcher. You don't give a guy a no trade clause in a five year, $77 million deal. It just kind of makes no sense to me. goes back to the front office. Yeah. I'm that's I'm nothing against Erod. Like you take the deal, you take the best deal you can get. If you're the player, the front office, made some bad moves with him and that hot, that deal is not great. And the hobby bias deal has been pretty treacherous uh, for them. And yes, Lance Lynn uh, was another pickup for the Dodgers. He actually pitched pretty well last night. I know he's had a shaky year, but he's been striking dudes out. And if he could kind of, you know, get his command back, uh, maybe a change of scenery for a veteran guy who wants to compete later in his career uh, can help that. I think that's going to be a really nice pickup for the Dodgers. And, you know, things always work out for them as well. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, the, the White Sox, they held on to Luis Robert. They held on to Dylan Cease. Giolito obviously was sent packing. Kenyon Middleton was the only move the Yankees made. They got him. He's a reliever from the White Sox. Uh, the Jake Berger deal, the Josh Bell deal, both them going to the fish uh, down in Miami, heading to the Marlins, adding some pop to that lineup. Now they have Berger, Solaire, and Bell. Like, look, it's not, it's not, you know, they didn't add Otani, right? But look what the Braves did a couple years ago that we always admire. They added Peterson. They had Duvall. They had added Rosario. They had just a bunch of outfielders they could flow through and the guys that had a lot of pop. And I think adding Berger and adding Josh Bell to a Solaire lineup, to a lineup that has a rise leading off, uh, a guy that's getting on base at a ridiculous clip still, even though he's slowed down a little bit, is going to be really beneficial for the Marlins, their playoff push, because they're right. They're fully in the mix. They're in a wild card spot right now. They had picked up David Robertson from the division rival Mets. Um, and it's good to see a team like that go for it. Uh, so I respect that. I thought that was a good move. Uh, Nick, you picked, you guys picked up the closer from the Royal Scott Barlow. 
another guy to add to the bullpen, which I thought was pretty nice. Sox didn't really do anything. And like the Rangers, like we were saying earlier this week, they made their moves for your team toss. Montgomery um, and Scherzer were really nice moves. Uh, and then Flaherty. I think the the Orioles, it's good to see them do something as well. Uh, I think Flaherty is starting to piece it back together. He may not be returning to an all-star form or a form that we thought, hey, this could be a future Cy Young frontline starter. But it's good to see Flaherty kind of returning back to his form like he was uh, in the last couple months. And I think it's a really nice pickup for the Orioles that needed some pitching depth before they headed to the playoffs as the number one seed, as it stands. Oh, yeah. and, and Justin Verlander. <laughs> Who could forget? <laughs> I mean, what the Mets did this year was all-time laughable, right? Just everyone thinks that they're going to be top dog. And I mean, look, I in our preview show of the MLB season, I predicted they weren't going to make the all-star team. Right. And they both did it, but I did not predict them to be on different teams, both of them completely different teams. And it's interesting, you know, what uh, the GM told Scherzer and, you know, I'll take it with a grain of salt, but he was saying that, okay, so are we going to be competitive next year? And he said, no, our window is 25 and 26. And a guy like Scherzer, who's you know towards the back half of his career, is thinking to himself, why would I want to be here if you're trying to rebuild this year and next year and not be competitive until 25-26? And so I understand, I guess. I mean, get rid of the old guys and in with the new. At the end of the day, like they're not going to be competitive with two starters who are in their 40s, right, and trying to build around them. I mean – eating a lot of the money still. I think I think combined they're eating like $90 million or something, right? Something crazy. Mm-hmm. So it's not even much of like getting the, the cash off the books. It's more of just getting the return. And they did get good return. I mean, Acuna's little brother from the Rangers is a nice return. Um, the guys that they got from Houston, I think it's their number one and number two prospects, I believe. It was four, one and four, but Drew Gilbert's a top 100 prospect, the outfielder. There you go. So, I mean... Get what you can if you think your team is, you know, not ready right now. And, uh, you know, I imagine they're probably going to be giving themselves uh, a lot of cushion in the 2025 free agency when Soto becomes a free agent. I think they're probably going to be big players for him. I mean, that's probably the big fish that year. I imagine they're probably out on Otani now. They probably know that they're not going to have a chance at signing him because they said that they're looking for 25-26. I think that... I think our speculation that Otani is for sure gone. I don't know about that anymore. I think there's a chance that he stays with the Angels. Well, that's I what I'm saying. That, I, yeah. I, I said I think they probably assume they're out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that. I, yeah, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I want to be on the record. I never have had speculation about him not resigning. I have just wanted him not to resign. For me, it's more about looking at himself as a holistic brand and understanding that he can make more money as Shohei Otani, maybe not on the baseball field, but elsewhere if he's not in Anaheim. Yeah, um, I'm with you. I I just wanted to, I quickly want to play Captain Hindsight here. The Mets were tied for fifth for the best odds to win the World Series at the beginning of this year. So look, I look don't how, know. Look how far they've fallen. I mean, I, I guess who they were tied with also. No. Padres. Yankees. Padres. Padres. And the Yan- I'm yeah, sure the Yankees but- were up there. What were the Yankees? Uh, the Yankees were tied for third with the Dodgers. The Astros had the best odds, and the Braves had the second best odds. 
thing is though, like Yankees are technically still not out of it. They can go on a right. big run, right, and catch a wild card berth. Uh, Padres are still not out of it. I mean, we're five games back, and we were big buyers at this deadline. Made three big trades, um, held on to Snell and Hater. And if we were to trade Snell and Hater, I think we've got a, could have got a king's ransom just looking at what the rest of the league gave up for the starters. And um, there wasn't a lot of relievers on the market as well. I mean, we saw Chapman get moved very, very early. Then we saw Jordan Hicks get moved. And then, of course, we got Barlow, which wasn't, you know, wasn't that big of a move for us. But it's nice. I mean, I, I'm definitely glad that we that we got an extra arm to, to shirk the bullpen. I mean, take some of the pressure off the the back end guys like Hader and, and Bob Suarez and Steven Wilson. But, um, you know, I mean, I think the biggest thing for us, for me at least, was I'm glad we added some some depth into our lineup. Went out and got G-Man Choi from the Pirates. Gave uh, Hassan Kim a buddy to talk to on the bench. They were friends before as well, and it's nice that they kind of have a rapport. And then Rich Hill, I mean, that's that's just starter depth. I mean, he's old Dick Mountains, old as balls. But at the end of the day, um, you know, you still need depth, especially, especially down the stretch when guys are, you know, starting to kind of ache and ale. I mean, Joe Musgrove is not pitching today out of the blue because he has shoulder soreness. So, you know, you, you need stuff like that, you know, down the stretch. And then we made a great trade with the Marlins, I believe, where we gave up Ryan Weathers, who was our first-round draft pick few years ago wasn't a great experiment you know we sent him up and down the majors and then did him down triple a and he had some bumps down the road but you know gets a fresh start somewhere else and we get garrett cooper who's been mashing against lefties this year and we get um a uh, a great reliever reliever pitching prospect in sean reynolds who touches 100 miles an hour on his fastball who's six eight so i'm happy with what they did i mean i think i would grade them like maybe a B plus a minus for this trade deadline. I mean, made the necessary moves. Let's see what happens now. Yeah. Uh, they, they definitely did solid. Uh, the diamondbacks got, uh, got Seawald, uh, like we mentioned yesterday and they went out and got Tommy Pham, who's had a pretty solid year. Gave up Chafin too. And they gave up Chafin too, but he's been whatever. Um, but they got, I thought Seawall was a nice pickup and their, their back end's been pretty erratic. And, uh, obviously Tommy Pham adding some veteran outfield depth is good for them, but back to the Mets. I mean, I don't know how they're going to compete in 2025 or how they're not competing next year when their books are still stacked with guys like Alonzo Lindor, Starling Marte, Cody Sanga, Brandon Nimmo. Nimmo. They just paid like, they just paid all these guys. So I don't know. Unless they have a fire sell in the off season too. I mean, look, you could get a lot for Alonzo a lot. You could get a lot for Nimmo. Like Nemo's had a really great year. Like I don't know, you're not gonna get the same return for Lindor, but I think you can also get a good return for Senga. He's been a really strong starter this year too. I don't know if Alonzo's the guy that you move though, because I think he's what 28 years old. He's probably yeah. due for a contract renegotiation pretty soon. I mean, I feel like that's a guy that you want to keep at least till he's like 35 years old. Yeah, I mean, it just depends how much you're depends on where you're at and how much you want back in return. Like he's right now, he's 28 years old. He's got a career. He's got a career on 177 home runs. He's at 31 this year, 40 last year, 37 the year before 2020 year. He didn't, you know, obviously everyone's a wash and his rookie year, he had 53, which is a record. So yeah, I mean, look, he, these guys don't grow on trees. He's definitely one of the top power hitting first baseman in the league. Um, probably number two outside of Matt Olson. Uh, who's put on a ridiculous display in Atlanta this year, but you can get a haul and a half for him. 
So that's definitely if you're re, if you are rebuilding, you rebuild. I don't know what you can get for Lindor. I think his his value has kind of been driven down, and he's got a three hundred million dollar contract. It's you know not up until twenty thirty two. Um, yeah, you got to really attach. I think you got to attach some prospects to him or something. If get him off the books. Getting him off the books, yeah. But I don't know if that's what they want to do. I mean, I think they want to keep their farm system young and fresh, and they really haven't had a great farm system in a long time. So maybe it's the the new way to go about it. I think it, they... it sucks that like it, it spiraled out of control since the Diaz injury in the World Baseball Classic. Like, I feel like if he doesn't get hurt, season's looking a lot different for them. Hundred percent. That changes their whole dynamic of a team. Like you have instead of Robertson closing, you have Robertson in the eighth, and Robertson was good for them. So you have Robertson in the eighth, and now he's gone. So you have Robertson in the eighth, Diaz in the ninth, and Diaz was dynamic last year. And then you have Ottavino and Brooks Raley in in the seventh inning, and like your pitchers can go. Like you have Scherzer, you have Verlander, but I thought they veered. It's a classic mistake of what not to do in baseball. What got them to, when they went to the World Series last time? What got them there? Syndergaard, homegrown. Matt Harvey homegrown, Jacob deGrom homegrown, Zach Wheeler homegrown, Dan Murphy. Like it, it, it's not yes, their big pickup was Cespedes, but outside of that, it was pretty much homegrown talent. It's not rocket science. It's just, it just really isn't rocket science in baseball. Like if you grow, if you have homegrown talent, you win. Like the Orioles right now, go down the line. How many of those guys came through their farm? Like the entire team, pretty much. Yeah. Like, the Astros. Yeah, it's it's definitely a good formula, but it's not always super easy to replicate. I mean, no. like in the Padres situation, like, you know, we bought a bunch of players, but like we've never been great at developing guys. We've never been great at keeping guys and getting them up to the bigs. Like, as you see, the rest of baseball, like I, I can probably name you like 50 guys on other teams that have played for the Padres. 100% because how many times have y'all fallen into the trap of getting rid of your prospects for bigger names we've this is not the first iteration of like oh the Padres going out and getting big name players we saw this like five years ago when they did the whole Upton Brothers thing the whole Kimball thing the Matt Kemp thing like they they're this is like their song and dance that was, that was like nine years ago now nine years ago I mean this is like <laughs> Jesus this is their whole song and dance though like the the Rangers are the Rangers got the two guys in free agency and they got Eovaldi in a good deal, but the gray deal was pretty cheap. And outside of that, like Adolis Garcia, he's homegrown. Nate Lowe, Tavares, like Ezekiel Duran, Jonah. Like all these guys that are stepping up are guys that have come up through them, like developed guys. Like you have to develop your guys in baseball to what you go through. I, I, I We can go through every single World Series team, and I promise you, like we're not going to find a bot team that's won it. We really can't. It just it doesn't work like that. Like maybe the Yankees in the mid two thousands when they went and they got Sabathia, Teixeira, A Rod. Sure, but we went we went over with Danny. Like it's not like they weren't devoid of any homegrown talent. They exactly that had come up. Yes, they still had Mo and they still had Cano. Like (laughs) you have to, you have to develop in sports. I I'll just say the Mets are their bottom half in every statistical hitting category in the MLB outside of one. And it's home runs. runs and it's because of Pete Alonso. So like, and not, I don't even, I'm not even saying that. I'm just saying the Diaz. Yes. It would have made a difference. Do I still think that their record is more indicative of who this team really was with the talent that they had put forth and the strategy that they're, 
that their manager had brought to the team and ultimately like who the type of player Lindor is even he has not lived up to the the contract and I think that that kind of has trickled down to all of the other deals that they've made like I don't think this team was even with Diaz contending for a world series no I mean look Lindor is, not. Lindor is good his defense has been good but yeah his hitting like you can't pay a guy 300 million dollars it's hitting 230 in my opinion with an I, don't necessarily, I don't necessarily think that like the Diaz thing is like it's like one guy's gonna make a difference I think it was just kind of like the early blow and as Josh yeah. is saying, the dynamic, right? Where it's like, right. damn, we lost our closer. Like, this is the guy that we just paid a bunch of money to, you know, who's supposed mm-hmm. to, you know, maybe he's one of those guys that we're looking at who's a scion candidate as a reliever. You know what I mean? So, yeah, definitely a big blow. But at the end of the day, you're right. I mean, still got to hit. There's, there's, you know, nine guys on the field, you know, starting pitching all across the board. And there's too many other, I mean, the, Look at the teams at the top of the NL and how good they hit the baseball, how well they hit the baseball. Yeah. The Dodgers, I mean, the Braves, the Phillies, even the Marlins. And the Marlins went and addressed that. I mean, it's interesting. Like, Josh, they're not in the wild card right now. They're a game out. So they they needed to make these moves to stay competitive. Oh, yeah, they, 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 they've been fluctuating. Are they a game right, out right every, now? Every day it yeah, changes. You okay. know, but Who's it, in it right now? The, is it the Phillies, the Giants? Giants, the Giants, Phillies, Brewers. Yeah. It changes every day, though. Every day. Dude, the oh, can we talk about a couple things that happened like away from the trade deadline last night? What's the Framber Valdez, who I know I kind of have a hard on for him, maybe because I have every year in fantasy baseball. He's a beast. Yeah, he's an quietly he's, through a no hitter. Quietly through a no hitter. <laughs> uh, just absolutely tossed another. He always is tossing gems though. And the Cubs twenty. Like if you're the Reds and you score nine runs in a baseball game, you got to expect to win that score baseball 20. game. Cubs scored twenty runs yesterday. Yeah, the Cubs are probably my biggest surprising team this season, to be honest. You know, I think I everyone probably it. picked them. Everyone probably picked them to be at the bottom of the barrel. Um, I mean, a lot of it's credited to some of these guys that are having resurgence type years that people thought were going to be moved at the deadline, like Cody Bellinger and Marcus Stroman. I mean, you got literally a Cy Young candidate and then a guy who's literally having a comeback season who's going to get himself a big payday in free agency. I mean, both these guys are going to get paid. But um, yeah, I mean, it's. It's good to see them, you know, put it together. I mean, they're a fun team to to be good. I mean, it's one of those one of those I think franchises where it's like if they're doing good, it's good for the sport of baseball. Just cuz it's like the Cubs are so historic, you know, Chicago, great great city, great sports town. Um so it'll be an interesting, you know, last couple of months down the stretch, you know, this is it's going to be a dogfight between these, you know, seven teams. I think yeah. seven teams. I mean, I, the Padres are number seven right now, but five games out. I mean, they're only a half game behind the Cubs. Um, you know, they're a big runaway as well for getting back into it. Yeah. I mean, like, and again, like any of these teams, I don't know if any of these teams can go on runs, but I think a lot of these teams can maintain. Like, I don't know if I don't foresee the Brewers going on like a 10 game win streak, but I see them maintaining a nice pace. I, I could think see, the- I could see a lot of these teams go on big droughts. I could see the Diamondbacks and the Marlins kind of falter a little bit. I could also see – I just I, – I, I mean, I think they're punching a little bit of, above their weight class and a little bit ahead of schedule. I think the Giants can maintain. I, I do think the Phillies can get hot. Like, I think all for all intents and purposes, you know, I mean, Kimbrell is like the ages – he's been like a million teams by now. Uh, like, Trey, Trey Turner has been like bad. Yeah. Really bad. Like, really, really bad. Like Bryce Harper, how many home runs does Bryce Harper have? 
five. Like he's barely played this year. I know, but I mean, he's played 74 games, dude. Castellanos is probably the best player this year. Castellanos is a great ball player. Yeah. He always, he's very underrated and real Moto, but like Schwarber too. I mean, no average, but he's been, he's been bombing. Yeah. Nola's got a four, four at any point. Things can flip for the Phillies and, and, and they can get hot. Yeah. I mean, the cubbies are so the cubbies have those Stroman who's kind of coming back down to earth. Steel has been good. Hendricks is just like a stalwart there. They didn't really adjust their bullpen or add too much to their bullpen, which I thought was a little puzzling. It's kind of mid, but Bellinger, I Nick, you've been in this fantasy league with me before where we teamed up in one uh, a couple years ago. Uh, it's it's a points league, so it's the rules are just so much. I'm not going to even get into that and explain them. But I always find like it, it's a good judge of who the most consistent players are and the most effective players are uh, in baseball. And right now, over the last 30 days, the number one player in the league is Cody Bellinger. Yeah, pretty wild. I mean, good for him, right? I mean, someone that I think most people wrote off and were like, you know what? He's he's over the hill. You know, I mean, he's not bringing me back to his MVP form. But I mean, he's a, he's 28 years old. Like, he's gonna be a free agent next year. Like, he's he's probably gonna get a nice five, six, maybe seven year contract with the team. That's over $150 million, maybe $200 million. You know, we'll have to see what it looks like, but really put himself back in discussion as one of the good outfielders in baseball. Yeah. I mean, he's 28 and we spoke about Alonzo who also is 28 being one of the top home run hitters. And I know Bellinger's played more seasons, but Belly's pretty much neck and neck with him in home runs. Like they've hit pretty much the same amount of home runs, which is crazy. He's a great fielder. Yeah, and he, he came up as a first baseman too, and he moved to center field. Just a nasty athlete. Uh, the interesting thing about the Phillies, a couple of guys on their team, you mentioned Trey Turner not having a good season. You know who are having good seasons? Alec Bohm and Bryson Stott. Homegrown. Homegrown. Alec Bohm's a good ball player. He he's, a really, he's, he's a very good ball player. Bryson Stott is a really good ball player. He does it all. He's probably he – actually, him and Casti – he's probably been as good as Castellanos, I'd, I'd venture off to say. He's been pretty sweet. Yeah, when I saw him last year against the, the Padres in the NLCS, I was like, oh, this guy's going to be trouble. Yeah. He's like, a, he's like a pesky, like, middle infielder. He – like – and kind of, I mean, to go off like the Mets is like a McNeil type, just does it all. Like, you know, is aggressive at the dish, gets on base, steals bases, you know, a pesky, he, a pes- a pesky six, three, 200. Yeah. I know. Right. He's like actually <laughs> low key, pretty big. He's yeah. He's a, he's a B, but he's like, he, he's just, he's one of those guys that they brought up that he was supposed to be good. And he's delivering. I mean, he's hitting two ninety nine, man right now. He's got 19 steals. It's, it's pretty good. Yeah. Very impressive. Pretty dang good. Um, yeah, but I think that's uh, that's our MLB trade deadline. I mean, quick look at the standings right now. Uh, the AL, I think, is. I know I said it was locked up with the Jays yesterday, but they're they're actually catchable. And there's this, the the M's, the Yankees, the, the Angels, and the Red Sox are all within four at least four games of yeah. the Blue Jays. Forgot to say it yesterday, but I thought you were poo-pooing a couple of those teams a little too early. Let's give. I don't some know. Time. I don't know. I've just been pessimistic about the Sox since the beginning of the year, kind of. But they've happily proved me wrong, and they got a lot of nice things going for them. And I was talking with our buddy uh, Ethan Frank yesterday, 
who called me after a concert at 1 a.m. his time. So he knew I'd be up at 10 a.m. our time, at 10 p.m. our time. Uh, and we were kind of delving into the socks and I was gushing over our outfield and how good Turner has been. And, you know, the kind of the, the not sexy names behind the dish, but they've been good defensively and Casas. And I totally like was like, oh, my God, like Devers. <laughs> Devers has been sick and like is just yeah. he's just having such an under the radar. Another guy that had, he was almost at 200 home runs, too. And he's a 26 years old. Just another under the radar guy. I didn't I wish we, we were a little more aggressive and, and made some moves for pitching. But I think Bloom is kind of attached to some of the prospects we have uh, not name Marcelo Mayer. Roman Anthony's yeah. a really good outfielder. We have. We're uh, talking about it right now, homegrown. You know, if you guys want yeah. the formula to, to have success later on, you got to hold on to some of these guys. And I think you guys are in a good place right now. I really do. I mean, something that we didn't expect them to be in the race at this time of the year. They're a half game, a, a game and a half out of the the next wild card spot. Um, great young outfield. You know, as you mentioned, Devers is locked up for his life. You know, yeah. they've, they've got they've got some good pieces and so let's just see these new guys come up next year and the year after that and see if they can actually you know win this division at some point i i and you know i think the i think obviously kenley jansen the back end guy is the big name for the Sox, but winkowski schreiber um bernardino has been really good he, they've been using him to start games sometimes bring in P- pavetta chris martin the ageless wonder uh we got him over from the jurors Coldplay. Yeah, he he actually is a, he actually plays and sings guitar for the team in the locker room. We went from beer and fried chicken with John Lester and Adrian Gonzalez to cold play serenades with Chris Martin, which has been pretty sweet for the Sox uh, over at Fenway Pack. But the bullpen, uh, I know the lineup gets a lot of credit, but the bullpen's been pretty sweet for the Sox too, and that's just a big. Again, like your pods added bullpen pieces, your Rangers added bullpen pieces, and that's an that's kind race. of the argument. That's the it's an arms race. Thank you. It's the kind of the argument I back to when my our conversation with my buddy last night. I was trying to rationalize Batista winning the Cy Young because that's like the hill I'm dying on these days, I guess. And honestly, Hater is right there with him. Hater is having pretty much just as impressive of a season as Batista. The strikeout numbers aren't as good. I mean, I think Batista's 51 innings and 101 strikeouts, which is just like <laughs> mowing dudes down. But as the days go on, like I don't see a guy in the AL that's really coming out and, and, improving to be a true bona fide Cy Young candidate. And if I, I really just firmly believe the Orioles finish is the best team in the AL and his ERA is below a 0.9. He's the best player on the team. He's the best player on the best team. Like how can you not reward that? Like I know we have a role aids reliever award, but I mean, who gives a shit about that award? Nobody, nobody ever really fits like the least, you know, the least famed award, quite frankly. Okay. It's a Trevor Hoffman award. Sorry, sorry. Mariano Rivera and Trevor Hoffman award. My bad. I apologies. I went a little old school. But yes, exactly. I mean, it's just, it's after the gold gloves, it's after rookie of the year, MVP, the, the relievers, for as important as they are, they don't get the love they deserve. They're kind of like, I think, did you make the comp to running backs, Nick, a couple of shows ago, a week ago? Uh, closers. Closers, closers yeah, are yeah. like running backs where they're a luxury to have. Luxury to have often disposed and they get, of. And they get, yeah, they get moved around quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, good segue, though. Running backs, so important in fantasy football. Got a couple questions for you guys right here. Uh, and then we'll do a little college football to close ourselves out. Let me hub to grab it. Where did I have it in my notes? Ah, uh, yes. Fantasy football strategies. We've spoken about, you know, 
who we take with the first overall pick in a PPR. Justin Jefferson seems to be um, the surefire answer for us. Uh, but I just kind of wanted, you know, quick questions on your strategies. Like, if you take Justin Jefferson with the first overall pick, what are you guys necessarily looking for at the two three wraparound? When are you guys looking to take quarterbacks? Um, at the if you're taking it like the twelfth pick of the twelve man league, what are you looking at the wraparound there? And thoughts on waiting on running backs and tight ends. I know it's a lot to unpack right there, but just I to think that out. I think your strategy has to change depending on where your pick is, mm-hmm. right? Like if you're a guy who's picking in the middle, five, like that's a pretty good position where you can bounce back and forth, running back, wide receiver, running back, wide receiver. If you're someone that's picking like 10, nine, you know, if you're a 12 man league, you're picking at 11 or 12. then that's probably a situation where I may be going back to back wide receivers. Um, if I'm picking in like the top three, sure. You want to get the best guy, but I feel like you can't miss on one of the top running backs. If you're like picking at two, three, um, I like to go back and forth. I like to start with either a running back and then second round go receiver. And then I typically wait on tight ends because if you're not getting Travis Kelsey, like what does it matter? You know, like Mark Andrews maybe, but like those are really the only guys that really you want to go up and grab in the early rounds. Other than that, it's just kind of luck, you know, who's going to have a good season. And then for quarterbacks, I typically wait. I mean, obviously our league in LA is a little bit different when you have two quarterbacks and Patrick Mahomes goes in the first round, but in a standard league or, you know, standard PPR league, I'd probably take a quarterback in like the fifth, sixth, maybe sometimes seventh or eighth round. Mm. Nice. T? Yeah. I mean, I have so many, so many thoughts here. Um, I'll address first. Let it loose, bro. The JJ question. So if you're taking JJ at 1-1, I'd be looking, depending on if you're a 10-man or a 12-man league, to see if Chubb falls to the end of the second round because guys get scared. I mean, that's... They get scared that he's not going to have the same involvement in the passing side of the game, um, which is valid. But if he gets into the end zone and this is a solid Browns offense, which it could be, that is all predicated upon Nick Chubb's success. And he's definitely a guy that if I'm taking him at the end of the second um, second round, I'm totally cool with him being my RB1. So that, that would be like my number one pick back to back if I had the one one. Um I don't love having the one one. I don't I just don't like picking that far away from each other. Um, you know, when, once you get on the flip side of that. I but my question to you guys is are you drafting Cooper Cup in the first round at this point? No. I no I don't feel like not I can. doing that. You, I play it so safe. I I try to play it as pos- as safe as I possibly can in the first round of fantasy football drafts. I would rather take Devontae Adams than Cooper Cup because I know he's going to be on the field. And I know that he's going to produce. I I love Cooper Cup. He's an awesome player. He runs some of the best routes we've seen in the last decade. But now he's hurt last year. Now his quarterback also has injury issues. Now he's got this hamstring issue that's going to keep him out for a couple of weeks. Now I can't take Cooper Cup. In the- and hamstrings linger often. Uh, yeah, I, to me right now, I'm just looking at the first round and in the mock drafts that I've done and just the ADP. Yeah. It's, it's, I feel kind of iffy about like having picks four through six that right now to me is a real tough spot to be in. I would try to trade it. Yeah. 
I would I'd rather, rather have... trade to the back of the the first round, pick up another pick later on in the draft if you can, in the third, fourth, and a fifth, get more players there. Um, Five million I, percent. I would try to rather. I mean, off your point, I would try to. If I'm picking, if I'm picking five or six, right? I'm taking. I'm taking Travis Kelsey. There's no question. I don't care. Like I'm taking him. Like that doesn't matter to me. Like I don't care if McCaffrey, Justin Jefferson, and I guess Eckler are gone. I'm taking Kelsey. There's no other players I'm taking ahead of him. Not even Jamar Chase. Like he's that dominant at his position. He's that good. He's that much of a surefire thing. Then after that, let's say he's gone and I'm picking at the seven and I have like, I'm like on like the Saquon Barkley Cooper cup train. I would legitimately rather trade my first round pick for a second and a fourth or a second and a third and get a second round pick and then pick up a fourth where I can go get T Higgins, maybe not or, or something like that. You know, I'd rather take, take a flyer on Nick Chubb and T Higgins for Cooper cup. Yeah. I mean, you just look at like, the running backs and McCaffrey's first, you know, and then you've got Eckler Barkley. I'm just looking at uh, ADP list right here. Bijan, Jonathan Taylor, question mark now, right? Nick Chubb, Josh Jacobs. Do we expect Jacobs to be as good as he was last year? I don't. Um, Doesn't mean that he's not going to be a good fantasy player. He still might be. And then Derrick Henry, right? Like I'd rather wait and get, if I can get Nick Chubb and Derrick Henry, one, two, keep, punch, go, keep reading. Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Tony Pollard next, like super talented, but we haven't seen him as the, you know, the number one back in that system yet. But um, still, but still rather take Tony Pollard in the second and take a good receiver in the first. I'd rather go Kelsey Pollard than Saquon something. Yeah. Uh, Stevenson. Then, you know, you get into Brees Hall. I mean, Najee Harris is the the 12th running back. Um, that guy's going to get heavy volume. He's going to be involved in the pass game. Like, how is he that far down? The, I, is that crazy of me to think that, like, he, he was ridiculous? kind of mediocre last year. I think he, he's a, I, ex- I think he's a sick talent, but he's kind of mediocre last year. I expect Kenny Pickett to be better this year than he was last year. And as oh, long as he's getting touches, like, it's, yeah. it's tough to bet against volume when you're talking about fantasy. And when two picks beneath Najee Harris is Jameer Gibbs, who I, want to have but i just don't know if i want to draft him in the second round yeah but where's like aaron jones like i like are we like just like off on aaron jones now he's he's, pretty he's 16th mixing 17th both those guys are back to back and they've been you know top 12 backs um adp wise and also performance wise the last you know three years but there's also guys like damian pierce there's guys like isaiah pacheco there's guys like uh, Jimmy Cooks. There's guys like yeah, who, am, who am I forgetting? That, that I mean, are... Alvin Kamara is sitting here at number 31 in regards to running back rankings, which is like, look, we all love Kamara, and for me, like, I'm willing to take a flyer for him to be my flex. Oh my god! If, if I'm in that situation, what about Miles Sanders? Like, he was really good for Philly last year. Like, the yep. and the Panthers are going to be better. He ran really well for for the Eagles last year, and then not to mention the Eagles. Like, they bring in Rashad Penny and DeAndre Swift. Why not, why not take a flyer on those guys later rounds? Like, if we all, I was probably the most pissed the Lions didn't re sign Jamal Williams. But you guys came to me and were like, dude, David Montgomery is a better running back. So, if David, with that logic, if David Montgomery is a better running back than Jamal Williams. I never saying, said that, by the way. Someone did. All right. Sorry. I think he's a better running back than Jamal. <laughs> okay. It was Tostin that said that. I knew someone that said that. 
David Montgomery, even if he's just as good, like how many touchdowns did Jamal Williams have? Even if he's like half as good, he had nine. He'll have nine touchdowns. So in that in that unbelievable, they have one of the best offensive lines in the league. So why am I, why am I taking a risks in the first and second round when I don't need to take risks in the first and second round? I'd rather go two guys that I know I are going to play and be good, and rip Patrick Mahomes and get my running backs later. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, echoing Nick's sentiment and just adding a little bit to it in regards to the tight ends, um, you know, Travis Kelsey to me is in a, a class of his own, as, as you were talking about, Josh, how, where you would take him in the first round. I think that what we're going to see over the course of the next two, three years in fantasy is the two through 14, there's going to be some productive players in that, in that grouping. Um, and so you're not going to be vying for the third tight end, the fourth tight end, because the sixth and seventh and eighth tight end are going to be talented guys. I mean, I'm looking right now, like Dallas Goddard, just on this specific ADP that I'm looking at is number seven. Um, that's a guy that I want to be involved with. For He's sure. a guy that is going to be, He's going to get in the end zone. That offense is incredibly productive. Uh, Hertz has a great connection with him. You know, I, he's behind Waller and Pitts, but guess what? He's been better than them pretty much in fantasy for the last two years, especially when he's been on the field. Um, Njoku had a really good season last year, and like, let's see how much better he can be with Deshaun Watson fully established as the QB there You know, with, with an offseason. Cole Komet's 14th-ranked tight end. He and Justin Fields had a good connection the second half of the season last year. Like that's a guy that could that could end up a top six tight end, top three tight end, and I really wouldn't be that surprised. What about Evan, Ingr- Evan Ingram? He had seventy six receptions and like seven hundred seventy yards. I the whole Jaguars thing is is kind of bizarre to me. They think that the adi- everyone feel like the addition of Calvin Ridley automatically spells the end for a guy like Christian Kirk, who was one of the best picks people made in fantasy last year, and Evan Ingram and like, Zay Jones connect- too. The connection's still there with Trevor Lawrence. He's a guy that we put in our top five at number five on our quarterback list. He's a guy we think is going to make the jump to what we all expected him to be an MVP caliber player. He's going to spread the ball to those three players, four yeah. players. Like everyone's going to get their touches, and the Jaguars are going to have, they should have a great offense under Doug Peterson, by the way. Uh, let's not forget he's, he's running the show over there, and he's a Super Bowl champ. Yeah, yeah and, I mean, in, in the same way that I feel about the tight ends, I feel about the quarterbacks too, because we get so enticed and enamored with the quarterbacks that can run, which is it's reasonable to do that. But now I'm looking at an ADP list where Justin Herbert and Trevor Lawrence are the seventh and eighth quarterbacks, and I am totally cool waiting for those two guys. I would love to have them on their team. I had a lot of Justin Herbert stock last year. It worked out relatively well, not as well as I had hoped. But we know how talented the guy is. Yeah, he stays healthy. If he does, if he's not dealing with that rib injury early in the season last year, it's a completely different fantasy season for this guy. Those guys are great, um, but I think the league, especially in fantasy football, has really moved towards guys who could also do it on the ground. Not saying they can't, but guys that are designed to run the ball at least ten times a game. Justin Fields, Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, Josh um, Allen. Josh Allen, like those top guys that could get you a touchdown on the ground too, rather than just throwing the ball. So I think that's why their ADP is probably a little bit lower. And I'd be more inclined to take a guy, you know, who runs the ball because, you know, it's kind of like a, a running back hybrid with your quarterback. 
Yeah, I I just the way that I look at it, it's like I'm I'm not mad about having either of those guys in no, taking another mad. position. And I'm I'm not what I'm not doing is I'm not sacrificing a position player too early by taking one of those quarterbacks that can run. And and then it just depends on what the average points margin is between those guys that do run and the guys that don't. And like I'm banking on the fact that I believe Justin Herbert will throw for he'll be top five in passing touchdowns and top three in passing yards. And he has to stay healthy to do that him or Lawrence. But I actually think Lawrence, they'll utilize him in the red zone to run a little bit more than they did last year. Um, Herbert, they're a lot more protective of, we know that, but yeah, no, I, there's, there's no dispute. Like the ADP breakdown is as it should be hurts and Allen and, and Mahomes, like they deserve to be that high Lamar Jackson, Justin Fields and what his potential could be. Um, almost to the the standpoint of like, look, Joe Burrow's sitting there at four, but like he, out of all those guys, he can't run like any of those. Those. If guys. I From take a fantasy it, standpoint, like what's the, really, what's the difference between Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert? No, no, I, yeah, no. I just, if I'm taking Justin Fields, by the way, he ran for 1,100 yards last year, which is like ridiculous in 15, in 15 games. I want to make sure I have to. I kind of have to handcuff him with another quarterback. Kind of have to get like, like Rodgers, Kirk Cousins, probably be there. Kirk Cousins. I need a good backup if I have Justin Fields, which is which goes to your point of like, am I going to sacrifice a really good position player over a guy that I'm not fully confident in, or am I going to wait for a Dak, who's not the sexiest of names, but I know he's going to put up numbers. Deshaun Watson is Deshaun Watson and Aaron Rodgers are guys that like I'm going to keep my eye on. And if they continue to fall, I'm going to try to get them in value picks. That Browns team should be a lot better. Excuse me, guys. That Browns team should be a lot better with obviously they have Cooper and Chubb, but the offensive line is still pretty solid. And I thought they added, you know, Elijah Moore was a nice pickup. He's a guy that we had a lot of faith in coming out of Ole Miss. Uh, so I think he could find his footing over there in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think we also I think we hit on all those questions. I have a few more. We'll get we'll get to it. Uh, oh my god, I just got another notification. Giolito got tagged for nine runs of, for the Angels. Jesus, mm. things not working out for them. Um, really quickly, both you guys, uh, we'll do another video on social, make a fun one. But who are your top five teams under the most pressure? Just off the top of your head, we can delve into it in, in analysis maybe tomorrow. Uh, or, or Friday, but top five teams under the most pressure in college football this season. USC. Number, number one. one. Number one. So last year it's Caleb Williams for sure. You know, he's going to go to the draft. You know, you got to make sure the Lincoln Riley thing works out. Paid him a lot of money. Cool. Uh, got a lot of transfers. Texas, I think we're under a lot of pressure leaving the Big 12. You know, I'm trying to make an impact heading to the SEC and trying to um, seize this very winnable Big 12. Um, I think Michigan, they're always under pressure. Ohio State. Ohio State. I think both those teams are a lot of pressure right now. They haven't been able to have success in the last few years. Uh, we're sitting here at four. Uh, throw Clemson in the mix. I think they, uh, you know, they've, they've been having some down years since their last couple of natties that they won. Um, you know, Kid Klubnik's a good quarterback, and so you, you really got to make sure it works out with him. I mean, the mm-hmm. DJ Lele thing didn't really, really work too well, so yeah, hopefully they, they uh, figure it out. Toss any ones you want to throw in there quickly? Yeah, I think between the the Big Ten schools, I'll, 
I'll put Ohio State ahead of Michigan on my personal list just because Michigan's beat Ohio State two years in a row, and Stroud's not there anymore. Yeah. Um, and, and you don't want to see a changing of the guard in the Big Ten. So you have a you have a conference to defend here and kind of the, you have the top dog spot that you need to make sure is secured and everybody knows that. I'll throw Texas A&M in the mix. Oh, that was going to be mine. <clears throat> I, I think you can't have two, two – <laughs> terrible seasons in a row they had a terrible season last year and that will negatively affect recruiting and they had the best recruiting class they had the best recruiting last class and they lost a record number of recruits to the transfer portal texas and oklahoma joining the sec you can't have that happen yeah (laughs) gig these nuts dude um all right guys good stuff college football only a couple weeks away we love it hook up horns we'll see you You got anyone else to throw out there no, you guys, you guys hit my teams, and I was going to throw out A&M, but that was my fifth team. Beautiful. Yeah. Love it. Good horns. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.